So let's just pray as we come before God's Word. Yes, Lord, You've put us in this life and You've saved us from a place of deep darkness and You've brought us to the light and You've given new life to us, Lord. And then You've placed us back in life to continue our walks. And while we are walking our lives before You, You are changing us to be like Your Son. But that means, Lord, that we still go through the ups and downs of life. We still go through the hard times of life. The times of the darkness of the soul. The times when we feel that everything is getting too much. And yet, in the middle of that darkness, of that despair, there is Jesus Christ with us. Lord, thank you for that hope. And Lord, thank you for the testimony of believers who can testify to that hope of Jesus Christ in their lives. That when they were at their own end of their own strength, you were there. And you are strong. And that strength of yours is all powerful. Thank you for that testimony, Lord. And And even though there are tears, and we cry real tears because of real sadness that we may have to experience, thank you, Lord, that we can testify to the joy that you also give in the middle of those tears. There is joy and hope to be found in Christ. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for Julia Grace and her testimony of how she went through ups and downs, but you were there for her too. And now she can tell the world and help those who are also going on with struggles in life. And now, Lord, we pray as we open your word, may we know that it is your living word to us. And Lord, through your spirit, work in us now. To hear the words, but to hear the words in our souls. And to hear the words with acts of obedience before you. Do your work among us now, we pray. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation on our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 40. And we are going to look at uh, three verses of this psalm this morning. And it ties in really well with what's been happening here this weekend. You see, we go through ups and downs in life. And um, Julia Grace was, has been given the gift and the ability to sing about what God was, has been doing in her life through the process of that grief and up and down. But if it wasn't for the hope which is to be found in God, then that process is all we have. But thank the Lord for her clear testimony of God in her life. And so as we look at the psalm, you might be in a place where 
on the surface it looks like everything's going well. But behind closed doors, it's a very different story. And you might be like her. You go and sit in the kitchen at night when no one's around and you just cry and scream and shout. Because that's what's happening. That's the reality of life today. And I pray this morning that as we look at this psalm that you will see that as David experienced the pits of life, that you, you too will see how he got out of that. There was a process here, but there was more than a process. There was a hope in someone far greater than his circumstances. And so let's read these first four verses together of Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. And in your own time, go and look at the rest of that psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. But I just want to concentrate on these first few verses this morning in the time together. You may have heard of a man called Louis Zamperini. I spoke about him way back in 2011, but you might have forgotten now. So I'll just mention him again. He's one of the dead guys who lived till recently, who is one of my personal heroes in the faith. He was born in 1917, and he died in, 19, in 2014. How's that? Nearly a full hundred years, eh? He was born the son of Italian immigrants and they moved to California. And immediately when he moved and went to school in California, because he could speak no English and only Italian, he became an instant target for the bullies. Life was hard in those days. And he had to learn to defend himself and so very early on he became very tough in himself. And this carried on into his teenage years and he quickly became a juvenile thug and he used to beat people up for any old reason. And then he ended up running off to Mexico. You have to get over the wall next. Anyway, I digress. And his older brother was really concerned for him and his whole lifelong his older brother was always concerned for him. And so his older brother went to Mexico and brought him back. And put him into the school running team. Because he knew that Louis wasn't so good at the, at the lessons in class. But he was a fantastic athlete. He was really fast. And he had a lot of endurance. And so he managed to get his brother into the school running team. And in 1934, Louis Zamperini broke the world record for the mile. And he ran it in four, mi four minutes and 21.2 seconds as a 20-year-old. 20, 
And then a little later in 1936, he ran at the Olympics while Adolf Hitler was making his comeuppance. And when war broke out, he enlisted in the U.S. Air Force in 1941. And he ended up in the Air Force being a, tailed, a side gunner. And if you know anything about side gunners in, in bombers, they were the ones that the um, fighter aircraft would always go for first. And then the tail gunner and then the rest of the aircraft. So they were an instant target as well. In 1943, his B-24 bomber crashed into the ocean off Hawaii. And most of the crew were killed except for three of them. They drifted for 2,000 miles. For 47 days, they drifted on the open ocean. Now, that is very, very, very unusual. They survived on tiny fish that they managed to catch by making small hooks. They managed to eat shark livers. They managed to catch a seagull and eat that and use it for bait. And they managed to collect rainwater. One of them died, but two of them survived this ordeal. They fended off shark attacks. They survived a strafing from an enemy aeroplane that saw them out there. And after that amount of time, they didn't rescue them. They tried to kill them. And then to survive, because it's all in the head after a while. The body is wasting away, but it's the head. It's the mind. They cooked imaginary meals in their minds. And they had to tell the other person what they were cooking. And uh, it was someone's cook to t turn to cook next. And so they would play these games with each other to keep each other going. And then after, he tells a story that at 35 days at sea, it was an extremely quiet day on the ocean. And there they were drifting. There was not a breath of air. And a quietness seemed to settle around them. And Louis says he thought he was dying. This is it. But he sensed he was not alone. And he didn't know God at this stage. But he sensed he was not alone. And so he cried out, as people do when they reach these points of the end of themselves. He cried out, God, if you're there, and I think you are here with us, please save me. And please save my friend. And if you do, I will dedicate my life to you. Many have cried that prayer to God. And God heard him. Did God pull him out of the water at 35 days? No. God waited till 47 days. And so 12 days later, they washed out on shore. And did God send them, the Americans, with ration packs? No. God sent them a Japanese rescue party. And what did the Japanese do? They took them prisoner. And for the next two and a half years, they spent in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. And if you know anything of Japanese prisoner of war camps, they were terrible, terrible places. So these living skeletons had to endure more. But he was not alone anymore. God was busy working on Louis. 
And so for the next two and a half years, they were beaten, they endured slave labor, and they kept half-starved all the time. And then the Americans managed to liberate that camp in 1945. And he managed to get back to America. When he had been treated for his injuries, he married a, a girl that was really concerned for him. And they had a very good marriage initially. But he had some inner demons he was still working on. And in books he's written, and there's a movie out as well, he speaks about his battle with alcoholism to try and beat down these demons. And also anger towards the Japanese. His wife didn't know what else to do with him and together with Louis' brother, they took him to a Billy Graham crusade. And there, the Lord met with Louis. As he was exposed to God's word, he remembered that promise he had made to God long ago. God brought it to mind. And there in that crusade, he was converted. And there he determined that he would serve the Lord for the rest of his life. And so in obedience to Scripture, as he read Scripture, he was convicted he had to forgive those Japanese soldiers. And he writes, it was the hardest thing he had ever done, but he knew he had to. And to show his resolve and to help himself in that process, he decided to visit Japan in 1950. And there he went and he made an arrangement to meet with some of his former prison of war camp guards. And when he brought the gospel message to them and said to them that he had forgiven them, they knew who he was. And many of them were in tears. And some even gave their hearts to the Lord because of their testimony. And so he went around the world from there. And in the few years he still had left as an old man, he spoke about the love of Jesus Christ, even in the middle of all this hatred. That God could save from that. And God could bring real forgiveness. And then the Lord took him home on the 2nd of July, 2014. But what a testimony of a life served for Jesus Christ. It didn't start like that. But there in the middle of his darkness, he cried to the Lord. And the Lord heard him. And that's what David experienced here too. You see, when we look at Psalm 40 in these first four verses... It tells the story of a man bogged down and he's in this muddy pit of despair. And then he's rescued and established in a firm place again by God himself. King David, a man after God's own heart. That's the man speaking here. And the truth is that it speaks to you and I because as human beings we all go through experiences sometime in our lives and maybe many times in your life and maybe the whole of your life. And it's not just reserved for people like Louis and you and I, kings and peasants, King David. Saints and sinners go through hard times in life. So what can we learn from the psalm this morning? Just in these first four verses, we see that David was in the pits. There's no specific cause described here. I mean, David had many things that would worry him in his life. His son was chasing him. Absalom was chasing him for half his life, wanting to kill his own father. Other enemies of King David kept wanting to kill him. 
There were many people wanting to kill him. Saul wanted to end his life. But we're not told what was the specific cause here, but we are told that he was in the depths of despair. When circumstances were overwhelming him, he was in that deep, dark night of despair which hymn writers have written about. He was in the pit of destruction. And he knew that if he stayed there, he would be destroyed. And you might be there too. You know, if you stay in this place, it will take you down. We don't have to look too deeply in this country of ours at the suicide rates where people land in the depths of despair and they feel this is the end. I can't do anything about it. And they end things. It's a real thing. And he knew he was helpless to save himself. Psalm 69 verse 1 and 2 says this, Save me, O God. Same author. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my soul. Have you ever felt that way? I have sunk in deep mire and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood overwhelms me. You push and you push with your feet, but you just can't get a foothold. And it seems that this is going to fold over your head. Jeremiah was in that same place. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 38 of Jeremiah. People were going to kill him because he had brought God's message to them. And he was chucked into a literal pit with literal mud and mire. And there he also cried out to the Lord. And I love this. Me. The Lord sent an Ethiopian to rescue him. I like that. Because we've got a link. And there Ebed-Melech was sent by the Lord to go and rescue the prophet from that place. God sent his help. You see, you and I might be in that same place and we are in the, the pits of desperation. Apparent hopelessness in our situation. And it might be financial, it might be personal, it might be family matters. But you reach that breaking point. You might be a business person. And the pressures and the pressures and the pressures of the business world and of your bosses above you and the demands they put on you drive you to your wit's end. You don't know where to go anymore. That mother with little crying children around her all the time and they never seem to stop crying and it just gets too much. You might be a uni student and those lecturers keep piling that work on you. I've been there. And you think, don't you people speak to each other? Don't you know that you've already given us so much work and now you're adding to it and you feel like it's just overwhelming you? And if you don't do it, you're going to fail. And then all your money's wasted. Or maybe you're under that continuing grinding stress of an illness that just doesn't go away. And you've been fighting this your whole life. You've got to go from operation to operation to procedure to operation. And you feel like this is, I can't carry on like this. Or it might be that you're in the pit of sin. There's a different pit here, you see. You, you're aware of that mud and mire of sin in your life. And it seems to be one sin leading on another one. And you keep trying to bring this to the Lord. And, and then you fall into the next one. 
And you can see what's happening and, and you feel like you can't get out of this. Or maybe you're in the pit of defeat. Nothing you've ever tried in your life has ever worked. Nothing. You can't even put two bolts together and they come apart. Relationships haven't worked. Be that with your children or with a partner. And you just feel, can't I do anything right? Or maybe you're in the pit of bad habits. Destructive habits. Might be drugs. So freely available now. And you've resorted to it because you think, it's the only way I can find some freedom. But it pulls you down. Or maybe it's that temper of yours that you just can't get on top of. Or maybe it's self-pity. Or maybe it's laziness. Or maybe it's constant overindulgence and you've tried everything. There are various pits that we as human beings go through. And then you reach a point in your life where you cry to the Lord. You reach a point in your life where you know, I'm at the end. I'm at my breaking point. And you know, if God doesn't help me now, no one else will or can. You're at that point where David cried out to the Lord. You're at that same point where Louis cried out to God who he thought existed and who might be there around him. And he didn't whimper, he didn't mope, he didn't moan, he didn't lash out at God, he didn't become self-absorbed, he didn't become insular, he cried out to God. Because in the end he knew, if I don't cry out to God, no one will help me. David often cried out to the Lord. He writes in Psalm 6.6, 6, I'm weary with my mourning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. Well, you might be in the same place. How different would our lives be if we did more mourning and weeping and crying out to the Lord, but we did it sooner in our lives? Somehow, we leave crying to the Lord to the last. We go through this process of thinking how I can help myself and we don't come to the Lord sooner you see David cries out to God and make sure that when you cry out it's to God come to the Lord don't go to men first don't go to Google first come to the Lord first cry to the Lord you know I looked on Google the other day and just for interest to see what there was. And there are so many help places on Google. But the help they give is helpless. It's hopeless. Do this, do that. Apply this remedy. Say this prayer 40 times over. Cry to the Lord in your distress and He will incline His ear to you as He did to David. I love that. The Lord inclined to me. That's a beautiful word. What does that mean? God heard you from His throne in heaven. Yes, He did. But how did He hear? He inclined His ear to you. Can you see you, yourself? We this small. God bent down and He put His ear to your cry. He inclined to me. 
And he heard my cry. And what is this heard? It's a heart heard. God heard me. He didn't just hear me with his ear. He heard because he was going to answer. You see, that's what the Lord does. He hears our cries. And he is the God of the impossible. When he hears, he will act. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish in your life. That's fantastic. The Lord heard. So please hear me today. If you're in the depths of despair, I'm not saying, please hear me, I'm not saying don't get human help as well. I'm not saying don't go and see your doctor, don't go and see your psychologist, don't go and see your psychiatrist. I'm not saying that. I am saying come to the Lord first and then get human help as well. But look to the Lord first. And then listen to your doctor. And listen to your psychiatrist. Listen to your psychologist. If what they are saying ties up to what God's Word says. You see, sometimes psychology today, many times, it is way off track. Because the center of psychology today is not theistic. It doesn't look at God. It is humanistic. They look for the answer in themselves and in the human psyche. And there's more to that. I'm not going there. That's not my field. But God says, come to me first. I'm your creator. Put your case before me. Unload on me. And I will take what you put before me. And I will answer your prayers. And then go and get help. And I will be with you in that process. You see, the Lord is the one who gives your physician and your counselors the skill they need to help you as well. Take note too that David waited on the Lord. Louis had to wait quite a few years before the Lord heard that cry in action in his heart. You see, in our modern age, we want instant answers. I want coffee now. That's why we've got microwaves. No time for stove top warming up anymore we've got computers and they better be fast otherwise I upgrade and get another one we want answers now and if Google slows down slowly there's something wrong with my system we want answers now and yet David had to wait on the Lord and what did he have to do while he was waiting on the Lord he had to abide in the Lord we looked at that in John 15 right we have to be in Christ. He has to be abiding in us. We've got to have His Word abiding in us. And we saw that the word abide means you've got to camp out. You've got to put the camels out to water. You've got to spend time. We've got to abide in the Lord. David had to wait in and on the Lord. And so he has to learn to wait on God's timing. And there's two essential ele elements of waiting on God. And it's this. There's humility and hope. Is the attitude of, I'm going to wait on God in humility. Why? Because I'm human and He's my creator. He will answer me when He answers me. But I know this, that there's hope to be found in waiting on the Lord because of who God is. He is my creator. He is the one who loves me. And so He will answer that prayer. And so there's humility and hope. And so David could wait patiently on the Lord. 
He knew, I cannot do anything, but God can do something about my situation. David didn't start demanding on God and start claiming his rights before, the God, before God. He waited on the Lord in humility before the Lord. And his hope wasn't just an aimless waiting like the weather vane in the wind. He didn't just hope, oh well, somehow the Lord will answer my prayers. It's not that type of hope. It's a very directed, intentional hope because we're expecting the Lord to answer because He has promised us in His Word that He will answer the prayers of His saints. It's an alertness for when will the Lord answer my prayer. There's a trust. He will answer my prayer. And there's a waiting on God through His Word. He will do it because He has said He will. Psalm 130 verse 5 says this, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in His word do I hope. God has said it, He will do it, and therefore I wait and I hope. We got it? So I'm giving you the principles behind the process of waiting on the Lord. And there's this hungry straining that we are to have in us waiting on the Lord to answer those prayers and to answer us where we are in that dark place. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for thee. When will he answer? And then, praise the Lord, there comes that time when God acts. And I want you to notice in verse, verses 1 and 2, who is the active party in this? Look at verses 1 and 2. I waited patiently for the Lord. Right, so that's David. He's done and dusted. Now, he inclined to me. He heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. He set my foot upon a rock. He put a new song in my mouth. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Who's the active party? God is the active party. He inclines to David. Who's he? He's almighty God. David is the frail human being. He hears my cry. It's that active hearing of, I've heard you and I am now acting on that prayer. And He brought me or drew me up from the pit. There's the answered prayer. He set my feet upon a rock where my feet were just pushing against mud and there was no hold. He, in my desperate situation, puts me in a secure place. And I have the answer for now. Not for tomorrow, I have the answer for now. And the next day, I have the answer for that day. And the next day, I have the answer for that day. That's how the Lord brings us out of these situations. He makes my foot firm in front of me. And we need to trust Him in that. You see, too often we want to see the whole plan from A to Z. Lord, show me what you're doing in my life. And the Lord says, I will show you enough for today. Tomorrow has its own cares and worries. Leave that to me. Lord, forgive us for wanting to know the whole thing. We are not God. He is. Now, sometimes when the Lord acts, He brings us right out of a difficult situation, right? And many of us can testify to that. We've been in the doldrums of life. The Lord has brought us completely out of that. And now I can... Speak to the Lord and I can testify to people that now my life is completely different. But you know, sometimes the Lord delivers us in that situation. 
Our circumstances remain the same, but God is there with us in that situation. And it might carry on for the rest of your life. God knows. But He will give you the answers in that situation for the rest of your life. And if you have to die in that state, then know that God will be there when you wake up into that new life. And then you will have hope forever. And those difficult situations will be gone for the rest of eternity. You have hope in Him. He is with you in those situations. You see, the Apostle Paul was in a situation like that. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 8 to 9. Now God rescued Paul many times from very difficult situations, right? He had to escape with his life many times. But there was an inner thing in his life, which we're not sure what it was, which kept torturing him. And he asked for deliverance, but God said, no. I want you to depend on me, because in your weakness I am strong. And this is the, this is the thinking that Paul came to at the end of that. This is what he says, 2 Corinthians 2 verse 8 9. Speaking from difficult circumstances, this is what he says. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. You will never be annihilated in that situation that you're in. God is there with you. So you might be pressed on every side, but you will not be crushed because Jesus is there with you. You might be perplexed by what is happening in your life, but you will not be in despair if you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. You might be persecuted in all kinds of ways in your life, but know this, you will not be abandoned by the Lord. He will be with you. You might be struck down, whether that's physically or spiritually, but you will not be destroyed. God has declared it. And we trust in Him. And so God can deliver from any and every situation. And He will preserve His own in that situation. But praise the Lord, it doesn't end there. Look at verse 3. When the Lord puts David's foot upon a rock, He makes his step secure, He does something else. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I love this. The Lord doesn't just deliver. He doesn't just turn the moaning. He takes it away and He puts a new song in my mouth. Now as a musician, I love that. Because when these songs come your way, which seem inspired, it lifts the soul. And the Lord puts His own song in David's heart and in his mouth. You see, God never half completes a job. He always does it perfectly. He rescues David and He gives a song of praise to him. And if you look at the rest of the Psalms, there are quite a few Psalms there where we see David just singing out his praises to the Lord. That's the song God put in his heart. And when the Lord delivers up David from the pit and David comes up from that pit gasping into the presence of God, he bursts into song and that song gives glory to God. What a response. You know, sometimes when the Lord delivers us, we're a little bit slow on giving God praise and thanks. We're so relieved to be free of the situation. 
that we carry on with life and we forget to thank God. Well, God puts the song in His mouth. And the song isn't, I did it my way. No. It's, God did it His way. And this song speaks out. Verse 4, How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. You see, it bursts out of him. And it speaks to the world around him. And that's what it's for, you see. God put David through this travail, not just to draw him closer to himself, but also so that David would testify about God's goodness to a world that is watching. And so David could publicly go and sing before the nation about God's deliverance. And it spoke to many people. And he could dance in front of the nation. Yes, he was naked at times. But he could dance in front of the nation and speak about God's praises. And many saw and believed in God. You see, those who witness this deliverance will stand in awe when they hear about what God has done when we sing that song of praise. Louis Zamperini, when he spoke out about the praises of God, many were overcome by that and gave their hearts to the Lord because of their testimony of God's goodness. And so God works this great work of deliverance in our lives for His glory. And we're back to that same old truth. What is the chief purpose of man and woman? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. God does that. And so we come through these difficult situations and our lives will glorify God and He puts a song in our mouth and we will enjoy Him forever. Isn't that true? Fantastic. John Piper put it this way. He says, God aims for us to sing others into the kingdom. Now, you might say to me, but uh, Calvin, I can only sing on one note and that's not going to drive anyone into the kingdom. It might drive them elsewhere. Well, it's not about that. It's about the singing of your soul, my friend. And you can sing on one note only, but your soul will be melodic before the Lord. It will sing praises which glorify God. So you just leave it to your soul. God will do it through your soul. You see, how does this work? John Piper continues, he says, When these people see a person who, contrary to human nature, was humble in distress and who never lost hope but banked on God and who, when he is delivered, gives glory to God, then they say, this God can help me too. Because look what he's done in their lives. We speak about his glory, you see. And when, when people see believers with a real who are real, genuine and authentic, who then come and praise God after and through difficult situations, it speaks to them. You see, believers, unbelievers around us rather, unbelievers who testify to our lives, want to see that we are human too. They need to see that we go through the ups and downs of life, like them. But when God delivers us from those things, we sing His praises, and they will see that God can do this for me too. The sad thing is today that even though people might see that, they still do not want to know. That's a whole different issue. They turn their backs on the only one who can help them. And they look to humans for help. That's the sad truth. But we must be there for them. Because when they fail and fail and fail again, we need to be 
there for them as friends so that they can come to someone and say, please, I've tried all this. Can you just help me again? We need to be there for them. And who do we direct them to? God Almighty. And the story might be how God has helped you in your life, but we direct them to God Almighty. We sing His praises. So that's the story of David. And so I would ask you this morning, as you consider your own life and as you consider the own ups and downs in your life, remember, you are not on your own. So why try and solve this problem on your own? Why go through the ups and downs of life on your own? Come soon to Jesus Christ. And when you've seen the medical staff who help you, if you need that help, then come to the Lord too. And give Him that whole process. And when you sit there in that kitchen and you're crying your eyes out, God is right there with you. Tell Him what's on your heart. And He will meet you right there. And He too will bring you from the depths of despair and put a new song in your mouth. And when your children see you and they see the change that's come about in you, they also will ask, Mom, how come you're so different? Because God helped me through this. And thank you, my children, for not giving up on me. But God helped me through this. And we give testimony to God. If there are any of you from this weekend, male or female, who need to bring these things before the Lord, if you need help, then I ask you, come for help. If you need one of us just to pray with you, then do that. If you need to go and see medical staff this week or your doctor, then do that. But first bring it to the Lord today. Pour your heart out before Him and allow Him to start working in your situation. He is Almighty God. He is the all-knowing God. He is your Creator. He knows how you tick. He knows the situations you're in because He knows everything. He knows the bigger plan He has for your life. He knows what He's doing in this small puzzle piece of your life where all seems dark. And He is putting those pieces in place. Come to your loving Heavenly Father. He is your Abba. He is your Father. Cry out before Him. He will hear your prayer. And He will answer in His time. I wasn't planning on this, but there's a, there's a song. In your time, in your time, you make all things beautiful. In your time, Lord, my life to you I bring. May the song I have to sing be to you a lovely thing in your time. In His time. Let's pray.
Lord, forgive us where we hold on to our troubles for so long sometimes. And we seem to think the longer we hold on to these things, the more the chances are that they'll be cured. But Lord, help us to come to you quickly. And to hand all those troubles and and sorrows and things that bring us down in life over to you. And to let them go. And to give them to you. And not to hold on to them for dear life. But to trust you with those deep things in our lives. Because you are God Almighty. Lord, thank you for testimonies like this of David. Where he could, in writing, put down for us the process that he went through so that we too could learn from this. Lord, may we hold on to you, our God, the one who is our fortress, the one in who is the rock, the one to whom we can flee and hide in the cleft of that rock, the one who is God Almighty, but the one who inclines your ear to us too, the one who is God Almighty, but our Father who loves us. Thank you that we can come to you. And Lord, thank you too for people that you give the wisdom of God to who can help us when we go through things in life. Thank you for good friends who are willing to have us just speak to them about what's going on in our lives, to just be a sounding board and an ear. And thank you, Lord, that you've given us the love of Jesus Christ so that we can put our arms around each other and be there for each other in those hard times. Lord, thank you too for those who are medically trained who can help us when we go through Issues which are dragging us down, whether they're physiological and spiritual. Lord, thank you for them too. And Lord, thank you that we can come and get help. But Lord, save us from our own pride and save us from looking in the wrong sources for that help and not coming to you. Bring us back to you as the first focus in our lives through every single situation in our lives, whether it is good or bad, may we come to you first. We give you praise. And Lord, I pray for any that are here this morning that are struggling in their souls. And, and Lord, on the surface, everything looks fine. But I pray that they would listen to what your Spirit is saying and that they would bring themselves before you and bow to you, Jesus Christ, in every single aspect of their lives. And then, if they need to, they would go and find the help they need so that they can once again sing that song which you will put in their mouths. Do your work among us, we pray, for the glory of your church, but more so for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.